Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. And Jesus was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became white as light. Transfiguration Sunday, a break from all that green. Get to use the white. We get to use it again at Easter. Nice bracketing of the season of Lent. At the conclusion of the service, we will carry out this beautiful Alleluia banner, symbolizing that as we begin the season of Lent, it becomes a a more somber tone, a season of repentance, a season of contemplation. And yet the transfiguration of our Lord gives us a preview of the reality about Jesus. In it, we see that He possesses a unique light that goes well beyond the ordinary as he encounters Moses and Elijah in the presence of Peter, James, and John, we see him radiant, as glorious, exhibiting a beauty that for our present age is hidden from us by the horrors of the cross. For now, the torture and the suffering of his sacrifice is so appalling to us, so repulsive, that we tend to avert our eyes from him. As Isaiah described it, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. But in the transfiguration of our Lord, we see him with heavenly eyes. We see him as we shall see him one day when the great trumpet sounds, when the eastern sky is split and Jesus comes again in beauty and in power. He is truly the light of the world, and in him there is no darkness, none at all. And both we and our Maker favor the light. We are creatures intended for living in the light. So strong is our natural desire for light that it takes a great deal of training and of discipline to function effectively in the darkness. Our military has spent billions and billions of dollars on being able to use the night more effectively than our enemies. So great are the challenges of overcoming our natural aversion to darkness, and so great the tactical advantages for those who can. Yes, it's been found through research in recent years that people who are denied light or those who are required to work nighttime jobs all the time often develop depression or other sorts of mood disorders that can affect them both physically and emotionally. We are not mole creatures, unsuited for the light, but we are lovers of light. And judging by the Bible, so is God. He loves light. Recall, for example, the very first of God's creative words. Let there be light. He spoke, and it was so. God's Word always generates new realities. Against a brooding and fitful darkness, God declares that there shall be light. And the earth was without form and void, Genesis 1 tells us. 
and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. These verses led the Old Testament scholar Claus Westerman to speak of the discomfort of the darkness. In his commentary on the book of Genesis, Westerman writes the following. With the three clauses of the second verse, Moses seeks to describe the opposite of creation, the before. The Hebrew expression tohu wobohu indicates a, a desert waste, analogous to the Greek chaos. Its darkness is uncanny, something what like animals experience during a solar eclipse. End quote. Imagine also, if you will, the appalling darkness faced by the prophet Jonah while he was captive in the great fish. You'll recall that Jonah tried to escape what God had wanted him to do. He did not want to do God's will. And so, inevitably, Jonah ends up in darkness, in the belly of the beast. It is threatening. It is a crushing darkness. The soul draws back from such darkness. Indeed, the soul always draws back from darkness, both the darkness around us and the darkness within us. Large cities, including Austin, spend lots and lots of money trying to give us some light in that darkness. But if you go out into the country for a ways or visit a farm or a small town or drive along a desolate stretch of road or an uninhabited area, you'll find out or maybe remember just how dark the night can be, especially on an overcast night. In days of old, there was much darkness, even in the castles of the wealthy and the powerful, much more so in the huts and hovels of the common people or out on the frontier. But here in the modern city, we try to push that darkness away and back because then we feel safer. We are calmer and more confident, and thus it at least seems that we are happier. And if there should be any darkness of a spiritual or emotional nature swirling around in our minds or in our souls, we know that we would be far better off if we could get rid of that darkness too. Hasten off to the pastor for darkness in the soul. Hasten off to the psychotherapist for darkness of the mind. In some cases, both are necessary. You ought to pray to God for your rescue from these darknesses. And do whatever you can not to yield yourself back to that original chaos of darkness. That darkness which God in all of his good overcame with his command, let there be light. And yet much of the world thinks and acts so differently, don't they? And if the truth be told, so do we most of the time. The beginning of St. John's Gospel account contains the following words. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. So we will have, on account of our fallen and sinful nature, dark impulses. Impulses of rage, of revenge, of violence, and of lust. But let us not yield to them without a fight, without asking God to support us and lead us away from these temptations. Contend against them. Seek the light. 
He who overcame the physical darkness of the void at the beginning of the world can also suppress, yes, he can even destroy the darkness that you harbor in your inner being. His glory and his light and his power dimmed for a time. In fact, even died on the cross. But his resurrection shines forth as a brilliant beacon to draw and to guide all who dwell in darkness. Imagine imagine the joy of the blind men in the Bible who encountered Jesus and received light from him. Imagine even just the modest joy we experience in the springtime when the days lengthen and we enjoy a longer period of sunlight each day. We are people built for light. And so I am praising light. I am making the point that humanity inclines, or at least should incline, toward the light. So let us incline toward Jesus. It is the great promise of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, that we are heading toward Jesus, the light, and toward a world of light. And there in Revelation, we read about this light. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. A chapter later we are similarly told, and there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Jesus is the light of the world. In him there is no darkness, no shadow of turning. And therefore it is inevitable, I suppose, that when Judas went out from the Last Supper to betray our Lord, the Bible should include the following note. So after receiving the piece of bread, Judas immediately went out, And it was night. And again, it is also inevitable that when Jesus was dying, when he was hanging on that cruel, harsh cross for your sins and mine, the reality should slip back toward the darkness of the original chaos. And thus we have that strange and appalling phenomenon of darkness occurring in the middle of the day. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. So from noon until three in the afternoon, typically the the brightest part of the day when the sun is at its pinnacle, our world was confronted by darkness and by chaos. We risked slipping back into that void. But only the mercy of God in raising Jesus again from the tomb on the third day spared us from eternal darkness. It is therefore with Jesus the light of the world being displayed in all of his brilliance and glory to his closest followers at his transfiguration, that we now head into the season of Lent. It is with Jesus, the lamp to our feet and the light to our path, whom we move forward through life into the years remaining to us here in this world and also only through him into life eternal beyond. And by the power of the Holy Spirit working within us, We also have, as Peter wrote, that prophetic word made sure. He went on to say, You will do well to pay pay attention to this as to a lamp shining in a dark place 
until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. This is our hope. That when darkness threatened humanity and when eternal eternal night loomed, Jesus stood up to the darkness. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it, St. John wrote. Martin Luther went on to elaborate about this in a Christmas sermon one time. He wrote the following. This is our theology, that Mary bore the child, took it to her breast and nursed it, and the Father in heaven has his son, lying in the manger and on the mother's lap. And the angel desired that we should see nothing but the child which is born. For if I receive even the costliest and best in the world... It still does not have the name of Savior. In my sin, in my death, I must take leave of all created things. No, sun, moon, stars, all creatures, physicians, emperors, kings, wise men, and potentates cannot help me. When I die, I shall see nothing but black darkness. And yet that light to you is born this day a Savior. That remains in my eyes and fills all heaven and earth. The Savior will help me when all others have forsaken me. And when the heavens and the stars and all creatures stare at me with horrible mien, I see nothing in heaven and on earth but this child. End quote. Imagine, if you will, that on some summer evening you were to accidentally swallow a firefly. You don't choke on it, you just swallow it whole. And more, imagine that this firefly shows so brightly and so powerfully within you that it actually illuminates your face and causes your clothing to become whiter than any bleach or other chemical could make them. And then imagine that this illumination causes you no harm, but rather works toward your happiness, your joy, and your health. That's the way the Lord's Supper works in us. God has promised us that in this blessed sacrament to which we are now bidden, we take the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ into our mouths. And there Christ first forgives our sins and gives us eternal life. And then He works to shine in us and through us out into a world that is caused and called into much of that swirling, chaotic, appalling darkness. And so let him who is the light of the world radiate out through you by living lives of holiness and goodness. Redeemed, forgiven, and saved, we are given his love and we are given his grace to cheer those around us with the gospel message. The Savior who was once transfigured on the mountain now shines forth forever brightly in the heavenly place, bringing light into the dark world and bringing light into each dark heart that he touches. And so we too are cheered by his presence. Jesus is revealed to us in glory and shines forth forevermore. As St. Peter writes in our epistle lesson this day, like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Jesus Christ has become our light and our life, and he will remain so forever. To him be the glory with the Father and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen.